Hello, my name is Dave, and I'll be reading this morning from Romans 4, uh, 13 through 25. I'm going to preface it uh, by going back to the psalm from David. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value, and the promise is worthless, because law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are, not as though they were. Against all hope, Abraham and hope believed that believed and so became the father of many nations just as it had been said to him you shall be, so shall your offspring be without weakening in his faith he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Well, after fighting God for the first 72 years of his life, my father was lying in the hospital with a malfunctioning heart, and I sat by his bedside, and God gave him some incredible insight at that moment as he faced his own mortality. He said, you know, I used to think that what life was all about was trying to do good and help people. That's what life's about. That's what we should do. He said, I've realized that's not true. He said, I've realized what life's all about. It's getting right with God. That's the purpose of life. And you know, that was a powerful insight. Because deep in every human heart, though we often forget it and we get confused, deep in every human heart, that is really the issue for every one of us. How do we get right with God? How do we get on God's good side? (laughs) How do I get God's blessing? We all deep down know there is a God, that he exists. But the question is, how do we really get him on our side? Or as Paul puts it in our passage today, how do we receive the promise? The promise of blessing that was made to Abraham over 4,000 years ago. So that's the real question of life. 
And throughout all human history, men have tried to figure that out. There are well over 2,000 different religions today. Every one of those religions is an attempt to answer that question. How do I get on God's good side? How do I get the promise? How do I get the blessing? And so it would appear there's a lot of different ways to try to get to God. But as our passage points out today, really there's only two ways. And all the different religions fit into one or the other category. And in fact, they all fit into one category. (laughs) And as Paul tells us in this passage, what Dave just read to us, the two ways are law and faith. Law and faith. Those are the only real two ways that we try to approach God, try to get His blessing. But today we're going to see, through the life of Abraham, who is considered the father of the three great religions today, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, that really the only way that God allows us to approach him is through faith, not through law. But he has to contrast these so we'll understand it because so many Christians, as we'll see as we go on in the book of Romans, so many of us as Christians tend to fall under law. We try to approach God through law rather than faith, as well as all the other religions do as well. So he encourages us in this passage to live by faith alone and to understand what faith is. So let's see what he says as he addresses us in Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 13. First, he really wants us to see the supremacy of faith. He begins this way in verse 13. It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world. But it was through the righteousness that comes by faith. First he lays out the promise. The promise, what we really long for, what we're looking for. And here he says, Abraham received the promise that he would be heir of the world. Now, if you go back to the promises God made to Abraham, remember, God called Abraham out of Ur, of the Chaldees, and said, I want you to come to a new land. I want you to follow me. And as he did so, he made several promises to him. One was that his descendants would be as the stars in the sky, as the sand of the seashore. He'd have many, many, many descendants. Second promise was that he would receive the promised land. And then his third promise was that he would be blessed so that he would become a blessing to all the nations. But here Paul summarizes those promises as he would become heir of the world. He actually expands on it because he's really saying, Abraham, what we all long for, what the promise is that we want to receive, the promise to Abraham, is that we would receive God's blessing and we would receive the promise of the whole world, essentially. Because if you're a follower of God and you have his blessing, see, then you just don't receive a land. You receive a new heavens and new earth. You receive his presence now. You receive his power to live in life. You become one who can reign in life, Paul says a little later in Romans. You see, we all long for the place of blessing of God that we know God will be with us and he'll walk with us and he'll give us all the things we need to live life to the fullest here 
and then we look forward to a new heavens and new earth when everything's made right. That's the promise to Abraham, and what Paul is saying is we can be heirs of that exact same promise. If, if we'll receive it the same way Abraham did. The same way Abraham did. The gift of eternal life. And it only comes through faith. As Jeannie and I drove in, as we'd gone to Oregon for Thanksgiving, and we drove in about 11 o'clock at night, we happened to drive by the mall. 11 o'clock at night, the parking lot's full. People are lined up. You could see people beginning to shove their way in line, even then. And I thought, you know, every one of those people, they're looking for the promise. They're looking for the gift of life. We're all looking for it. And Paul in our passage today says you can have it if you will approach God through faith. But first we need to understand the problem with law (laughs) because the natural response of every human heart is to try to approach God through law. If I can just somehow figure out what to do so God will bless me, then I'll focus on that. But he goes on to say very clearly why that's a problem. Verse 14, For if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value and the promise is worthless because law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. A number of things he says about law. Okay, that's you guys. You guys are law. This side of the congregation. You guys get to be faith, okay? The problem with law... <laughs> is that, first of all, he says it cancels faith. It destroys faith. It makes faith have no value. What he's saying is that there's no way you can approach God by faith and by law both. You can't combine the two. Some theologies try to do that. It's faith plus works that allows you to get God's blessing. There's plenty of theologies that say that. But Paul is saying no. The minute you turn to law, the minute you say it's something I do that gets God's blessing... You cancel faith. It's gone. They're mutually exclusive. The law says it depends on something I do to get God's blessing. My performance is what matters. When you do that, it cancels faith because faith says it doesn't depend on what I do. It depends on what Jesus did for me. It depends on God's action for me. It doesn't depend on my effort. So first of all, law cancels faith. Secondly, it nullifies the promise, it says. It makes it worthless. You see, the promise to Abraham was, I will bless you, Abraham, period. No conditions. That's the promise. I will bless you. That's the new covenant. That's what God promises us. But the law puts conditions on it. And so the promise becomes void because it makes, so it, makes it something that we earn. If I do the right thing, then I get it. Well, that's not a promise anymore. It's wages. It's something you've worked for. It's something you've earned. And that's not faith. Now, we're used to living in a world that lives by law, right? You show up in class and you say, okay, what do I need to do to get an A? And he lays out for you. You have to pass these tests. You have to get good grades. You have to do all this all the way through. And you have to earn your way to the promised A. But faith, 
would be walking into class and the teacher says, you know what? You've all got A's. But it's the first day. I haven't... You've all got A's. You have an A in this class. Now relax and learn. Relax and put your heart into it. Stop worrying about your performance. Enjoy the class. That's what faith says. <laughs> We've all got A's. So now learn to walk with God and enjoy Him to the fullest. That's faith. That's faith. But law nullifies that promise. Then he says the law brings wrath and it brings transgression. Why? Because you live your life looking at yourself and saying, am I performing well enough? And if you really look at your performance, you never are measuring up. So you know you're always under condemnation. You're always under judgment. You're always down on yourself. You're experiencing guilt because you know you're always crossing some line, transgression. That just means crossing a line that you shouldn't have crossed. So if your relationship with God is based on law, then you're constantly experiencing wrath, judgment, condemnation, transgression. That's the problem with law. <laughs> it can't get the blessing. In fact, it nullifies it. And he uses Abraham as an example. He says it was not through law that Abraham received the promise. It was through the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, it's very interesting to me that if you look at the three major religions of the world, they all look to Abraham as their spiritual father. Take Islam, for example. They look to Abraham and they say, he is our spiritual father. Now, they look at it a little differently than they do. They say, Isaac was not the true son, the heir of the blessing. Ishmael was. And we know today that Ishmael is the ancestor of the Arabs. So Islam looks to Abraham as their father and Ishmael as the heir. If you look at how Islam works, they have five pillars that you have to do. If you do these five things, those are the five foundational things. Pray five times a day. Call Allah the only true God. Uh, make a pilgrimage to Mecca, give alms, I forget the fifth. But it's these certain things that you do, and if you do these in your lifetime, and if you try to do good deeds mostly in your life, they describe life as a scale. If your good we deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then there's maybe a good chance you might get to heaven. They live by law. Take Judaism, for example. Here's Jews at the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall in Jerusalem, praying to God. Okay, the Jews believe that you need to keep the law. They don't believe Jesus was the Messiah. He wasn't the Messiah they were looking for. You have to earn God's favor. Here's what one commentator says is the Jewish perspective. It was Abe's fidelity, his faithfulness to the law, that secured God's blessing and that one could be Abraham's child only by taking on oneself the yoke of the Torah, the yoke of the law. Okay, so the Jews believe that you have to obey the law. You have to fulfill the requirements. It's your performance. It's law. How about Christianity? We're Christians. 
We pray to God, we get together and worship, pray, study the Bible. But what Paul's suggesting is that we can tend to live by law too. We tend to fall into this attitude because of our fallenness, because of the flesh which appeals to law. We, we want to find some way where it depends on my performance. And so, so many of us, and I've struggled with this myself, and I don't know of any Christian that doesn't, our tendency is to say, well, God, I've been saved by grace. It's totally by what you've done. But I need to add something to this. And so the important thing is my performance. Now I need to pull it up. I need to do the right thing. Faith plus works is how we practically live too often. It really depends on my obedience for God to bless me. So our job is to figure out the rules of our particular church or group or whatever. Figure out the rules and just make sure we conform. And then we're guaranteed God's blessing, we hope. And too many of us as Christians live that way. I think it's a natural struggle for us. But what Paul is saying is here's these great religions, these great three religions who look to Abraham as their father. But if you look at Abraham, he never lived by law. He received the righteousness of God through faith and faith alone. The law, actually, the Torah, didn't come until 430 years later after Abraham received the promise. He received a promise. It was credited to him as righteousness by faith. So Paul goes on now to show the supremacy of faith. That's law. That kills us. That brings guilt and rejection and condemnation. But faith is much better. Verse 16. Therefore, the promise, what we long for, comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. So what does he say about faith? Let's understand faith. That's you guys, okay? First of all, it comes by grace. God's unmerited favor towards us. Where he says, I am going to choose to bless you. Period. It doesn't depend on our performance, measuring up. It comes simply as a gift of his grace. Secondly, he says it's guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, all who believe. Jew, Gentile, Muslim, whomever, will truly believe in Christ. Will receive the gift. It doesn't matter your performance. It doesn't matter how messed up your background is. It doesn't matter how much baggage you have. It doesn't matter any of that. What he's saying is that the only way to receive the promised blessing that we all long for is simply by faith. And when we come to faith, anybody can receive it. It's not limited to those who know the law and can carry it out. No. It's simply a gift to anyone who will believe. So it's open to everybody. Not only that, it's dependent on God's power, not our behavior. He said, this is what Abraham believed in, the end of verse 17. He believed in the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. What's he talking about? 
God's resurrection power and God's creative power. You see, Abraham believed that no matter how things looked to him, that God had the power to bring life out of death. And God had the power to create something out of nothing. You see, it's depending on God's power, not on us. And so God spoke and God created the whole world out of nothing. And Abraham goes, you know, God has that kind of power. Even though I'm too old to have kids, God's promised it. It depends on God's power, not on me, not on my circumstances. So no matter how messy your life looks, no matter how dead your life might look, no matter how empty your life might feel, those are no obstacles to God because God has all power to create something out of nothing and to bring life out of death. That's what we put our faith in. Faith is not, as we'll talk about it in a moment, it's kind of blind faith. Faith is in God and his power. It's in a person. It's trusting him. So we need to rely on these same truths about God in the midst of our lives. As we struggle to trust God, we need to remember that, whoa, wait a minute, he has all power. He, he can speak and create something out of nothing and he raised Jesus from the dead. He can give life to my dead situation. Are you feeling dead? God can give you life. Does your situation seem impossible? God is the God of the impossible. He can speak and create something out of nothing. What came to mind as I was thinking about this is my friend Brian, who's a pastor, Brian and Emily, and they'd had one child who lived six days and then died of a genetic disorder. It was heartbreaking. She got pregnant again. Their second child lived nine days, died of the same disorder. Some friends were in church that Sunday night, body life service at Peninsula Bible Church in California, and, and they said, let's pray for Brian and Emily, and, and Brian and Emily are going to try to leave. They're planning to leave the nursery up, and they're praying that God would provide a baby for them to adopt and that Emily would still be able to nurse it. That's their prayer. So they shared that prayer request. Someone stood up and said, you know what? I have a relative who's about to give birth and wants to put it up for adoption. They talked. The girl gave birth. Brian and Emily adopted the baby. She was able to nurse it. And now Becky is her name, has children of her own. And the interesting thing is she looks just like Emily, the adopted mother. Their situation looked completely dead. But God is a God who brings life out of death. They've since had two children of their own that are healthy. God can bring life out of death to whatever your situation is. But we need to understand faith a little more, don't we? Because we don't really know how faith works. How does faith work? Obviously, we don't live by works, but how does faith work in our lives? He goes on to tell us this in verse 18 and following. Listen to the story of Abraham. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him or promised to him, so shall your offspring be. 
Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what was promised. That's why it was credited to him, credited to him as righteousness. So how does faith work? Think about Abraham for a minute. God came to him first when he was 75 years old. Sarah is 65. Their bodies are already beyond childbearing age, well past menopause. There's no Viagra available. <laughs> and God comes and says, you're going to have a lot of offspring. Well, interesting, 10 years later, Sarah finally got tired of waiting and gave up. She said, I'm never going to have a kid, Abraham. So why don't you take our maidservant, sleep with her and have a child, and we'll just say that's our offspring. So Abraham did it. He slept with Hagar, had the child Ishmael, who became the father of the Arabs, and that's why we have the conflict we have today <laughs> between Islam and Christianity. And they had this child, but he became nothing but problems. And then God finally said, look, he is not the child of the promise. You'll have one, but you need to wait. So Abraham, even though he'd already failed, right? Okay, if he was living by law, he would have been out. But Abraham lived by faith. And God came to him again, repeated the promise, you'll have your own child, you and Sarah. And finally, years later, when Abraham is 99 Sarah's 89, God came to him again and said, a year from this time, you will have a child. And Abraham believed it. And he did. He had Isaac, who became the child of promise. You see, he continued to trust God despite how things looked. He believed that God could bring life even to his dead body, even though he struggled to believe. He didn't always believe perfectly and God credited it to him as righteousness. So what is faith? How shall we describe it from this? Well, let me highlight what faith is not, because we get confused about this, and this is from Ray Stedman. He says this, Some think that faith is nothing but mental assent to a truth, that if you believe a thing is true, you're exercising faith. But faith is more than simply believing something is true. Others believe that faith is a feeling, a feeling of confidence. Have you fallen into that? Okay. If you happen to have confidence, you have much faith. If you don't have confidence, you have, much, you have no faith. Your faith depends upon how much feeling you can generate. But that's not true faith. And that definition of faith deceives many people. There are some who think that faith is actually a type of self-deception. Someone has said that faith is a way of believing something you know is not true. There are people who actually try to believe something they know is not true. And they talk themselves into believing it and call that faith. None of those are faith. But they're all misconceptions that we commonly have. So what is faith? Well, he describes it this way in this passage. Verse 18, he says, Abraham believed against all hope. What does that mean? 
It means when you hit a place, when you look around and you feel like there is no hope, faith says, but God is still at work. But God is still in this. I don't see how, but faith is saying, I still have hope because God is in this. I read a book recently called The Rest of the Gospel, and I like his description. He has a chapter in there called The Holy But. (laughs) And he says, here's the way we normally think. Yeah, I know God's in control, but what about my situation? I know God is good, but I can't feel him right now. He doesn't feel good to me. I know God loves me, but I'm hurting right now, so I really can't believe that. That's the way we normally think. Okay, but a holy but, faith, reverses those two. says, I know I'm really hurting right now, but God's in control. I know that my child is not doing well and all feels lost, but I know God loves them more than I do. You see, a holy but, faith, puts God at the end so that that's what we cling to, not our circumstance. That's a holy bud. <laughs> we need to live by that. That's hoping when all seems lost. Faith, as it goes on, is a firm assurance of God's spoken promises. Abraham continued to believe because God had said to him, so shall your offspring be. God has spoken many promises to us. We have them in writing. Faith is saying, God, I'm going to believe what you say more than what I see. I'm going to believe more what you say than what I see. And God's given us many promises. Let me give you some just in the book of Romans. As we go on in the book of Romans, there are promises like 5.1. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll study that next week. What does that mean? It means no matter what you're going through, no matter whether you feel at peace with God, you are. Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you feel condemned sometimes? I do too. But faith says, but God says, there is no condemnation. I'm free. Romans 8.15 says, we are children of God by which we can cry out, Abba, Father. Do you feel like God's a father to you? Not always. But faith says, I believe it, God, even though I don't always feel like you're that tender, caring Father to me. Romans 8.28 says, For God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. We tend to look at life and we say, I don't see God's goodness in this at all. Because there's a lot of suffering and pain. Faith says, God, I believe that you're at work in this, whether I can see it or not. And you are working out your good in my life and in my circumstances. The end of Romans 8 says, Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our eyes say, God's not here. (laughs) Where is he? I, I don't feel his presence. Faith says, God says he's in this. Nothing can separate me from his love, so he loves me deeply, and I'm going to cling to that whether I feel it or not. Are you beginning to see what faith is like? 
It's believing in his word and it's continuing to cling to it. Abraham looked at his body and it was dead. Looked at his wife and said, she ain't having a kid. And yet he said, but God said, so I'm going to keep believing. Faith is trusting God in spite of the apparent facts. In spite of what we may see in our foolishness and our blindness. In the end, faith gives credit to God, doesn't take the credit ourselves. It says it honors God. God was honored, gave glory to God by his faith. Ultimately, folks, faith is counting on a person, not on certain facts. It's believing that God is for me, he loves me, he's promised to love me, and I'm going to trust him rather than my circumstances. It's like a child who's stuck in a tree and there's a flood and the water's rising and dad comes up in a boat and says, jump to me, you've got to jump. And the child's afraid. He says, but it's too scary. But he says, no, trust me. Trust me. I will catch you. At that point, the child has a choice. Am I going to trust how I feel? Panic, afraid? Life's falling apart. I'm not going to make it. Or is he going to trust his father to take care of him? Faith says, I'll jump. I'll let you catch me. You see, that's what faith is. It's trust in him and in his word. So for us, it means in life, over and over again, with our finances, with our time, with our fears, are we going to use a holy butt and say, God, you're in control. Yes, my life's hard right now, but I'm going to trust that you have me in your hands. That is faith. And when we do that, God credits credits it to us as righteousness. He honors that. He blesses that faith. So how does faith become ours? That was Abraham's faith. A wonderful picture. How does it become ours? He ends the passage this way. The words that was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over for, to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. How does it apply to us? You see, for Abe, God had come to him and spoken to him specifically, and he had to trust in God's word. I think it's easier for us because we have a risen Christ who died for our sins, took away the guilt, forgave us totally, rose again so that we could be declared righteous, and he lives today, and we trust in a living Lord who lives in us and walks with us. So faith is counting on him. Day by day, walk step by step, no matter what you're going through, believing that he is in you. Faith is not in certain facts. Ultimately, it's in a person. Jesus Christ, who is alive and promises life for us. Folks, there's only two ways to approach God, really. There's a lot of different religions, Buddhism, Hinduism, etc., etc. There's only two ways to approach God. Law or faith. Law kills. Law can never work, but we keep trying it, (laughs) including many Christians. 
Law divides, destroys, it leads to spiritual death. But faith leads to life, the life we all long for. Faith is taking God at his word, believing that God's blessing comes to me not through what I do, but through what Jesus did. And out of that, then, wanting to respond to him. Winter is coming. And winter, we have winters in our lives where everything looks dead. But you know what? We know it won't always be that way. Spring's coming. And the grass will begin to sprout and the buds will begin to bloom and there'll be life. Does your life feel dead right now? Spring's coming. Cling to our Lord Jesus. Trust that he loves you. Cling to him. Don't try to work it out yourself. Don't try to fix it yourself. But put your faith in him and his word. My dad did that at age 72. As I sat by his hospital bed and said, that's a wonderful thing to say. That the most important thing in life is getting right with God. Do you want to do that, dad? says, yes, I do. And he gave his life to Christ by faith. Did he keep the law after that? No. (laughs) You know what? I believe he's with Jesus now. As we all will be when we trust him by faith.